1: Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. In this week's programme, Sir John Kirwan is over the Blues. While on the field we preview the Highlanders' Chiefs' Super Rugby Playoff, we reflect on an historic motor racing week for New Zealand drivers, with Earl Bamber and Brenton Hartley completing a 1-2 at Le Mans. We also catch up with Hayden Padden after his second placing at the Rally of Italy. Triathlon New Zealand gives up on hosting a round of the World Triathlon Series, And we farewell, former All-Black Jerry Collins. After much speculation and infighting at the franchise, Sir John Kirwan has stepped down as coach of the Blues Super Rugby side. Kirwan, who's been head coach for three years, has announced that he won't be seeking reappointment to the role and will step down immediately. 2015 was the Blues' worst ever season in Super Rugby, with just three wins, and they finished 14th in the competition. While Kirwan had proposed to the Blues' board that he continue with the franchise, he says that he's now reconsidered.
2: This is a, res- a results-based industry, and you know when I came here, I was very honest about um, what I wanted to achieve, and I think that uh, when you're a coach, um, you know we are here to bring results and. I didn't bring those, and I always said to fans and players that if I'm not delivering that, then it's right that I step aside. And um, I'm firmly of the belief that the Blues are heading in the right direction, but I didn't, um, you know, I didn't bring the results that uh, that we all wanted. And I said three years ago, if I didn't do that, um, then I'd step aside, and that's what I'm doing. Ku admits that the past few months have taken their toll. It's a moment uh, of reflection and it's a moment in your life that is not easy. Um, you know, I've been sleeping lately, so yeah, of course it's difficult. Um, it's been a huge part of my life, and I spent uh, 12 years uh, getting ready to come back and coach the team that I love, so yeah, n- none of these decisions have been taken lightly but I think it's the best thing for, for myself, my family and, and the club. The former All Blacks captain,
1: Tana Umanga, is tipped to take over the job and Kirwin believes he'd be an ideal choice.
2: Tana's an outstanding young man. He has been a um, similar pathway to me. He, uh, you know, he is a guy who I think would be one of the candidates, would be fantastic for here. He's, he's from uh, you know, the greater region. Um, he 's a good man, but you know for me it 's really up to the board to make the right decision moving forward. What I do know is that the person that comes on board will will find a, a club in better shape than than uh, what I did, and I think that 's important
1: So did John Kerwin jump or was he pushed? I put that to our rugby correspondent,
0: Barry Guy. Just one of those uh, public pressure things I think really the the Blues have been struggling for a decade now to get the results that they want, and they tried Lamb before. Uh, another Auckland person and uh, John Kerwin, he hasn't been able to turn things around. They had their worst season ever this year. He's not finished better than 10th. And uh, how long can you hold on? You know, I think perhaps there are some old school people running, um, involved in Auckland rugby that um, really uh, they've got to look to the future and, and change their views, I think. And, and perhaps they've started now or Kerwin did it for them by standing down. So uh, um, perhaps the honourable thing he he has done, but, you know, he hasn't managed to turn it around and uh, another chapter closes and, you know, a disappointing, as I say, decade for the Blues.
1: So is he a scapegoat then for for wider problems at the Blues?
0: Uh, Yes, well, we've talked, Stephen, have we, about there must be problems at the Blues. They have so much talent up there and they haven't been able to uh, identify them or hold on to them. Um, I, perhaps they're in the situation that there is too much talent and it's it's causing a problem for uh, the whole organization but really you've got to think that the catchment that they have that um, they've you know got to improve somehow maybe they've just got to Try and stick with some players. You know, that's been another issue. Players don't tend to have uh, hung around, especially in the key positions that that, that you'd want. And they've tended to bring in some of the older guys that have left other franchises. So um, maybe a clean slate, bring in some young guys and try and stick with them. And uh, perhaps, you know, if the fans can see that happening and things improving, then, um, you know, it's uh, onwards and upwards. I mean,
1: you mentioned they're hanging on to players because there have been several that have been at the Blues, not, not done particularly well, been released and then gone on and uh, and performed well at other franchises. I mean, Malakai Fikitala, for example, at the Highlanders.
0: Yeah, it's it's the opportunity, isn't it? That, that seems to be the problem at the Blues. Um, you know, if they had the opportunity a bit longer, perhaps, um, they could have shined there. I mean, Jamie Joseph is a prime example of he has limited... Resources, but he makes the most of what he's got, and their talent identification is obviously you know a, a good one uh, yeah it's you know there, there is obviously something wrong in the organization that needs to be changed for things to turn around and I suppose in the end when you talk about a sporting team it uh, all starts with the coach even though it may not be their responsibility they are the guys that in the end decide who goes on the field. And you can't tell me that, uh, uh, John. If someone says to John Coon, uh, "Oh no, I don't think he's any good," but Cohen does, that he doesn't get a chance to actually put him on the field. So he, in the end, he's the responsible person, and his neck's on the uh, chopping block. Uh,
1: can it seems? Well, it seems a fatal complier, doesn't it? That Tana Umung is going to get the job. Um, is he the right choice? Can he turn things around? Do you think?
0: Well. He's he's been in New Zealand rugby for a long time, and he's been with Counties Manukau for three years now. And he's played recently, and he's he's come through, so he obviously knows the system. What he's done at Counties again, he's used uh, a lot of local talent, and they've performed well. If he, if, I suppose, if he brings that philosophy through and is trying to get the best out of the players, and the players. React the correct way to him, then um, there is no reason. I can't see Tana or whoever taking over having a, an immediate effect. I, I think the Blues are still a couple of years away because we got you know Mia Lamu and a few other guys move, that will that will move on. I can't see next year them you know uh, winning it. Um, if they made the top six, that'd be outstanding. On the
1: field, if we we move to the Highlanders Chiefs match, um, your, your thoughts there because it seems the Highlanders are going in as as favourites. Um, they're obviously the hosts. Um, what are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I was a little surprised that the the much of a favourite as they are. Uh, they play well at home. They have their All Blacks back, and they do well when that's the situation. Uh, the Chiefs, um, I think I mentioned this previously that I still think they're struggling without Aaron Cruden uh, a person to guide them around the field. They've still got uh, key players, Liam Messam Sam Kane, great uh, front row, uh, Brodie it's Sonny Bill Williams, you know on and on and on but they're not as cohesive as they have been in the past and they've made mistakes turned over the ball and they haven't been clinical enough to finish off games um, I, I have said that Luck really hasn't been with them in a way, but if it is at uh, Forsyth Bar Stadium on Saturday night, then I think they can win that. You know, um, it's going to be close, I, I think. And um, uh, yeah, I, the favouritism for the Highlanders probably just, but you know, not a lot more. Key
1: key players. Where, where is that? Do you think it's going to turn? I suppose playing inside, given the, the conditions around the country at the present time, um, is a good thing.
0: Yeah, a lot of teams tend to kick there. And the person that ten, tends to shine there is Ben Smith. You know, he comes forward, best fullback in in the world, takes the ball and uh, tends to set up um, an exciting three-quarters for the Highlanders. Um, I think they'll be reasonably even up front. Um, you know, Brodie Ritalic isn't back to his best yet. Um, the loose will be... Intriguing, as I say, Sam Kane and Liam Messam is, is uh, are there, but the Highlanders' lucies have been effective. Uh, Aaron Smith and Lima Sapawanga have really come on this year as a combination, and I think that that'll also be key about moving around the field. And I think perhaps if the Highlanders get some sniff of ball out wide with Ben Ben Smith uh, and Fikatara and and you know, the, the Lux- Osborne, yeah, 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 um. That could be the difference. Actually, a couple of key tries.
1: I suppose you mentioned there about Cruden, but the big thing for the Highlanders is you you raised Topanga's name. I mean, he's been a big influence, hasn't he? He, He's actually really taken a couple of steps, leaps forward this year so far. Much that
0: people are even talking about him possibly playing for the All Blacks. That's right. Uh, He, um, you know, uh, he struggled uh, first couple of years down there. You know, kicking goals also, and just actually. Becoming a dominant uh figure, and I suppose that just goes to show that it does take a couple of years and Having some guy like Aaron Smith inside you're certainly going to help and it was It was bound to happen and, it, and now that he has a strong back line outside him, he can just concentrate on his game and yeah he he has really come on i I think if he doesn't make the World Cup squad, he'll definitely be in the uh, be in the frame after that. Uh, you know when Carter moves on, um so he yeah, it 's got a, a great future ahead of him, and you know, as I say, could be the key this weekend
1: so so who are you picking
0: Highlanders by five
1: and and the other the other match
0: well oh, i don 't really care <laughs> uh you know the stormers are hard to beat at home they don 't have Dwayne Vemuin playing for them uh I think if any team can, it's possibly the Brumbies because they've played so well up front, their line out and their mauling and and that sort of thing. Um, I could see the Brumbies tipping them over. But whoever wins that has to come all the way back and play either in the east coast of Australia or in New Zealand for their next match and is going to find that tough. So I don't actually know whether... Whichever sides win these games this weekend, I think will struggle the following weekend, whoever they come up against.
1: So an uh, All-New Zealand final is, while well, still uh, still possible, unlikely, yeah?
0: No, I'm, I think it'll be uh, uh, the Hurricanes against the Waratahs, actually, and it'll be a close one in the final. I was talking to our rugby correspondent, Barry Guy.
1: <laughs> the New Zealand racing drivers Earl Bamber and Brenton Hartley repeated history earlier this week finishing first and second in the Le Mans 24-hour endurance race. Bamber and his teammates German Nico Hülkenberg and Briton Nick Tandy crossed the line first ahead of Hartley, Australia's Mark Webber, and Germany's Timo Bernhardt in a 1-2 finish for Porsche. Bamber and Hartley emulated the feat of legendary New Zealand drivers Chris Amon and Bruce McLaren in 1966, who finished ahead of Denny Holm in the first 1-2 New Zealand finish at Le Mans. Ford filled the top three places on the
0: podium that year. The first thing you look for is a driver who will keep it between the curves. To pick a sports car driver, you've got to have somebody who can drive fast, who has
3: Grand Prix qualities, but also he has to encounter an enormous amount of traffic, And you have this terrific variation in speed. sun going down and getting up in the morning in the light uh, for a period of 45 minutes and perhaps even an hour is very bad and it's very difficult to see. I find the worst time is in the morning normally because uh, firstly you're tired and secondly you've probably got oil on the windscreen.
1: The last voice we heard there was that of Chris Amon who, of course, with McLaren, won the event in 1966. Well, Joe Porter caught up with Amon to discuss Bamber and Hartley's history-making Le Mans feat and asked him just whether or not we'll see a New Zealander in the sport's pinnacle, the Formula One Championship, ever again.
4: One of the key things has been that um, um, since we've had the Toyota Racing Series for the last I think, what is it, 10, 11 years the um, the chance for our young guys to race against international young guys has uh, increased dramatically and suddenly we're getting a Presence again on the world um, on the world stage, as it were. Um, I mean, it's been a long time between drinks at Le Mans. Bruce and I won it 49 years ago. <laughs> um, but just brilliant to see um, see Earl and uh, Brendan um, do so well there.
5: Obviously everyone associates the days when you were racing and your victory with sort of the the glamour days of motor racing. You're running onto the track to jump into the cars at the start of the race. And just the prestige of the race, is it still on a level as it was in the days when you were involved?
4: I think the um, Le Mans is still one of the big three races. I I think you've got Le Mans, Indianapolis and uh, probably the Monaco Grand Prix are are the three Sort of acknowledged um, great races. Of, it's, I mean, each one in their own way is is very distinctive. And Indianapolis is uh, an amazing spectacle. Um, you've got four hundred odd thousand people um, actually there. Um, it's very traditional, um, and Le Mans very similar. It runs a lot on its traditions. Um, Huge numbers of spectators, and of course, then you've got Monaco, which is, um, uh, you know, it's like having a having a race around your living room. <laughs> it's um, uh, very, very tight, but a uh, lot of history there, and and of course, a beautiful spectacle, a uh, well, beautiful place to be.
5: A Kiwi driver in Formula One in the future, is this still a reality, a possibility, or is the money involved and where you come from and the backing you have behind you so important that these days that it almost rules it out?
4: Well, I I guess I've had two ambitions. One is to see Kiwi succeed at Le Mans uh, um, again, and secondly, um, to see a Kiwi back in Formula One. I think the Formula One thing is going to be a hard ask at the moment. The... um, so many of the drives are actually paid drives or partly paid drives. We don't really have, as a small country, have the companies with the sufficient funds to provide backing that uh, would be required. I think uh, at the moment uh, you've got Maldonado, the Venezuelan at Lotus. I think he brings nearly $50 million with him. It's very hard to see a Kiwi finding that sort of backing. Does
5: that disappoint you, the current situation, that it's not necessarily the most talented drivers that get to sit in these Formula One cars, but the ones that bring the best financially viable option with them?
4: Yes, I I think Formula One needs a a major overhaul um, in several different directions. The problem is that the costs have got so enormous, you've got teams running on budgets of three, four, five hundred million dollars employing 700,000 people just to run two cars. So yeah, I, I, Formula One needs a major overhaul in that direction and in several others too. I have to say I find it very difficult listening to the um, current crop of cars with the fact that there's almost no noise and uh, I think noise has always been an important part of Formula One.
5: Absolutely. And I mean, what do you tell the current crop of New Zealand success coming through the ranks, the likes of Evans, Stanaway, Bamber and Hartley? What, Where is the future for these guys if that Formula One dream is perhaps a, a bridge too far to Formula One? Where do they end up?
4: I think the sports car um, avenue is, is, is honestly their best. I, um, I mean, Brendan is well established in the Porsche team now, and obviously Earl will be following the win. And I really think that they need to concentrate uh, on that. I mean, keep the Formula One dream alive, but don't let it influence what you're doing at the moment. And uh, I guess Mitch is being in GP2 at the moment, um, if he has a really good rest of the year, um, could have a, a chance of a Formula One drive. But equally, some of the Formula One drives, you really question whether you would want them to get into something like a, a manor at the, at the moment that gets lapped three or four times during the course of a race. From a driver's point of view, I think you're far better to be um, to be in a different category. And um, I, I really do think sports cars probably is, is the way for our guys to go at the moment.
1: That's Chris Amon talking to Joe Porter. Another New Zealand driver-making history this week was Geraldine rally driver Hayden Padden. Padden finished second at the World Rally Championships Rally of Italy. Padden's result was the best ever by a New Zealander in a full World Rally Championship event, surpassing the late Possum Bourne's third at the Rally of New Zealand in 1987. The previous best WRC result outside New Zealand by a New Zealander was by Bourne and his co-driver Roger Freeth, who were fourth at the Rally of Australia in 1990. The 28-year-old Hyundai driver had been in first place midway through the rally, but relinquished the lead to world champion Sébastien Ogier when he hit a rock, badly damaging his car. Barry Guy spoke with Patton and asked just what the difference was for him in Italy.
6: It's a, a combination of a lot of things, really. Um, you know, we had a, a good road position uh, to start the rally, and, and before the rally we'd also done a lot of homework, a lot of study. Um, and then I think also the, the introduction of the new pedal shift that we had on our car for the first time. And, you know, it all sort of just added together, just to make it all click and uh, come the day of the rally, it felt very easy in the car and, and uh, you know, the times were even a surprise to us. Uh,
0: but I suppose the rally itself it was obviously one, you know, that uh, you like.
6: Well, actually, no. It's uh, probably one of my least favourite gravel rallies of the year uh, simply because it's quite technical, uh, quite rough in places and it's one of the hottest and longest events we do of the year as well. So, I've always preferred the the faster flowing roads and, and this is completely the opposite. So, um, you know we 're treating this event as just another event to get experience, and you know we never expected to be up the front.
0: that must make you even more chuffed, I suppose, with the the performance
6: yeah well we 're probably more surprised more than anything as well when you when you go into an event with pretty to date sort of uh, expectations and then you come out um, you know competing the best that we've ever done before you don 't really know what to think, so if anything, you know it gives us a, a huge confidence boost to going into the next sort of string of events which suit me a lot better. But at the same time, we also need to keep our feet on the ground and, and stay realistic.
0: You sound a little bit surprised. I mean, the people back here sort of stood up and went, wow. But you must always perhaps consider that, you know, I'm a contender here and these things shouldn't be a shock.
6: Oh, at the end of the day, you know, that's why we're competing at this level is because we want to be the best. And, and you know, we, we've got self-confidence to, to know that we can be the best. But. It's probably come a little sooner than what we anticipated. Um, you know, we we're targeting the second part of this year to where we can try and be up the front. So for it to happen in the first half of the year, and on an event that we we're, we're not huge fans of, is probably what caught us by surprise. But as I say, it probably does raise the, the bar and expectations for the rest of the year. But at the same time, we, we have to stick to our initial plan and and keep the goal.
0: You considered the third car for Hyundai. So how did your teammate, how did the team react to that performance?
6: the team was obviously very happy. Uh, I think even within management, it was a little bit of a surprise. So um, for sure, you know, they were very complimentary and and very happy with the result in the end. Um, And of course, to have two cars on the podium with Terry and third is a very good result for the team. Um, Unfortunately, Danny had a a few problems, but, you know, I I guess amongst uh, us three drivers, there's a lot of competition. You know, your your main rivals in in any sport is always your teammate, particularly in motorsport because you've got the same equipment and same vehicles. So, uh, for sure, I'm sure we've probably got a target painted on the back with um, for the future events, but nevertheless, they're still very fast drivers and, and are still the benchmark of who we're trying to beat as well. So it's a, a two-way street.
0: Yes, I mean, you've said previously that uh, you go to each event to uh, finish, get points, develop and those sorts of things. But after that result, has the bar risen significantly now?
6: Uh, yes and no. For the next two events, we're just going to stay to our original plan. We, you know, for Poland and Finland, that's to go and try and chase a top five result. Uh, you know, we, we've got to keep in mind that the, the competition within the top ten is all very close, and a couple of front runners had problems in Sardinia. You know, to try and get in the top five on on a normal day is, is, a, is a hard task. So, um, you know, we've got to be you know on our game, pushing hard, good preparation, and uh, have a good rally to do that, and then. Uh, later in the year, particularly like of Rally Australia, uh, where we should have a good row position again. Um, you know, I think we can really sort of up our expectations and, and maybe try and chase the first one.
0: Yes, I mean you had a few issues last weekend that cost you time. Do you think a rally victory is far away?
6: Uh, to take that next step is, while it's a small step, it's actually physically a very big step we've got to make. Um, you know, we are only looking for tenths of a second, uh, but you know between um, the Volkswagens and Sebastian Auger, um, they're a formidable combination and uh, very, very fast. And, uh, you know, even without the problems that we had last weekend, I, I suspect that Sebastian would have had enough in the tank to pass us. Um, so it wasn't really a matter of if he was going to pass us, or it was a matter of uh, when. So uh, we, we still have a little bit of work to do, but I've got a lot of learning to do. You know, we're still learning up from the car. The car's getting faster every time. So um, for sure we'll close the gap, but it's just going to take a little bit more time.
0: You were talking about the things uh, uh, in your car, the setup and, and that sort of thing for the last rally. Any other sort of changes? Uh, is the team pretty happy with the way things are running at the moment, and that's all a good sign for the future?
6: Obviously, the team's got the, the new I-20 uh, coming next year, so in the time being, uh, they're trying to develop the car as much as they can. Um, for sure, as I say, it's been getting quicker. We had the paddle shift upgrade um, that we've now got for the rest of the year and, and for Poland. Uh, we've got the engine upgrade coming to be the same as our teammates. So, um, you know, there's a little bits and pieces coming all the time, and, and the team's reasonably happy with the progress. Uh, they're sitting third in the manufacturers and, and not so far off second, and that's obviously the number one priority. And I'm sure uh, the events in the second half of the year will suit the team and the car better uh, than the first half.
0: So, Rally Poland, do you head there more comfortable? Uh, a little bit more nervous perhaps, expectations higher how do, how do you feel personally inside you now, heading to the next rally?
6: Obviously more confident but also a bit more relaxed as well it's, uh, it's good to go to an event with that, you know, that bit of that weight off our shoulder of the expectations to deliver a result You know we've delivered a really good result uh, early on um, and while okay, we want to keep delivering good results, uh, it's just taken off that pressure of, that we had to do one uh, very soon so Yeah, going more relaxed, uh, more confident and uh, hopefully we can have another good rally.
1: Hayden Padden talking to Barry Guy. (laughs) New Zealand has dropped out of hosting a round of the World Triathlon Series in 2016, ending five years of involvement with the sport. Auckland had each year seen tens of thousands turn out to watch the world's top triathletes, but next year Leeds in England and Cozumel in Mexico will instead be added as hosts. The head of Triathlon New Zealand, Craig War, says the cost of staging the event and the lack of fee-paying participants in the race are to blame.
3: We haven't been dropped from the circuit. It's a decision that we, along with the various agencies in New Zealand, have made to withdraw from the circuit. So the ITU have been very supportive of the event, and um, but the economics of the event for us has not been stacking
7: up. So it was in your court. If it had been left to them, Auckland would still be hosting a round? Uh... Uh, yes. Okay, but you've also May, before we get to the economics, you've also i think laid the blame in the court of the athletes themselves. why?
3: No, and I'm glad you've asked that question because that is completely unfair. That was an interview that was done last night, and it was completely, I was taken out of context and the context was um, do the athletes uh, and the performances on the athletes have impact on on the on the sport and i my response to that was yes obviously performance of international athletes have an impact in an inspirational and aspirational way on a sport in the country. Now that is one part of a bigger jigsaw puzzle. The reason why the event is, is not in New Zealand next year has got nothing to do with the elite athletes.
7: OK, but are you disappointed that the elite athletes aren't inspiring crowds to come out in the way that uh, triathletes were maybe four, five, ten years ago?
3: Oh, I think that's an unfair statement because I think the the crowds are coming out, and this is the very point of us missing the event in terms of we're not a stadium, we don't charge... entry into a stadium, so to come and watch triathlon, it's free Okay. the crowds who have been lining the streets in the triathlon in downtown Auckland have been second to none in this country and have been growing year upon year. The economics of the event is from a participant who actually goes and enters the event and has a crack. And those numbers have been down.
7: All right, so just to get... So in
3: terms of the aspirational and inspirational stuff, that's been very strong around this event.
7: To get it absolutely clear, so the performances of our elite triathletes have nothing to do with this decision? Correct. And they are inspiring New Zealand crowds as much as they ever were.
3: I think there is an aspect that people do enjoy seeing the um, the
7: triathletes just as much as ever, yes. Well, that's good. So the bad part of it is the economics. Can you outline that for us? It's just too hard.
3: Well, the the numbers were not stacking up in terms of, like I said, we don't sell entry fees to come and watch it. So any event such as this requires people to um, participate um, to actually help fund the event. And unfortunately, the mass participation um, was not at a level that we could Sustain.
7: Why do you think that is, Craig?
3: Oh, I think there's a combination of reasons. I think people are, and, and research is, is showing us from surveying people, people are time poor. Um, there's only so many weekends in uh, the summer months in New Zealand and there are many different event options, so there's a saturation of events. There is an aspect of the event being in downtown Auckland off the wharf where some people felt an element of intimidation around uh, the swim for, for beginners. So I think there's many different aspects that
1: impact it. That's the head of Triathlon New Zealand, Craig War, talking to Checkpoint's Jim Mora. 4,000 people packed Potterua's Tarapraha Arena to farewell the rugby great Jerry Collins in a memorial service that was both moving and uproarious. Rugby stars including Richie McCaw, Dan Carter and Sonny Bill Williams along with former All Blacks Jonah Lomu and Michael Jones were there to pay their respects to Collins who was killed in a car crash in France alongside his partner Alana Mattill. Max Toll was there. <laughs>
8: Moments after Jerry Collins' young cousin sang a hymn in honour of the man, the rugby player's sister Brenda Collins delivered her own tribute.
6: Jerry, the past 12 days has made us realise what you really achieved in your short time. You planned to return home soon with Alana and baby, but God had
3: a better plan. Jerry, we are proud of you, we love you, we will miss you, Manuelo Alana, I'd say.
8: She suggested that Collins had died heroically.
3: Jerry. You were a hero on that last ride,
4: my
8: baby. After singing the club song with his teammates, the Hurricanes captain, Conrad Smith, was also moved to tears.
4: Like brother, we are the Hurricanes, He's one of the guys that built the identity of the team and the club that we as current players now play for.
8: But the mood of the service wasn't entirely solemn. Collins' manager and friend, Tim Castle, revealed he was considering an offer to appear on a reality television show.
7: Only a few weeks ago, Jerry, Alana and I were enjoying the prospect that they might zip back to New Zealand so that Jerry could wait for it, accept an invitation to be involved in the television show, Dancing with the Stars. (laughs) TC, my dancing schools are legendary.
8: It was Collins' father, Toomata Collins, who brought the house down painting his son as a man who enjoyed a drink.
4: Thank you very much for your
2: with Jerry. That's why Jerry's gone, because he's too much drinking.
8: Members of Alana Medill's family made the trip from Canada for the service. Her father, Daryl, says when she first started dating Collins, he had no idea who he was.
4: I said, so what does he do in Grand Prairie? And she said, you know, I think he was a, a pretty good athlete in New Zealand. I left it at that. Two days later, when she left, I said to my wife, "You know, I'm going to check that Jerry Collins on the internet."
8: After the service, the All Blacks legend Jonah Lomu says Collins was the perfect teammate.
7: We all loved him, you know, and through thick and he was always there for you, and uh, we, we'll always miss him, and uh, we'll always carry him in our hearts. But he—he he is the
8: person that he was right to the end. Fans clad in the colours of Colin's former teams, the Norths, the Hurricanes and the All Blacks hailed his character. Well, I'm not a true fan if I don't come here anyway. I'm just a make-believer. He was an um, inspiring man. He was a nice person. Yeah. Drew was a legend, eh? He was well-known and proved well. Yeah, everyone looked up to me. It's probably only five guys in rugby have idolised and He'd be one of them.
2: Watching him, how he played and his presence on the field was something different. And to know that he's from Poriru, where I was from too, is something special.
1: Max Toll with that report on the funeral of former all-black Jerry Collins, who passed away in France recently. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time for another week. Remember, you can find more sport on our website at radionz.co.nz, and you can also follow us on Twitter at rnzsport. On behalf of the Extra Time team, I'm Stephen Hewson. Bye for now.